Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from Canada, the European Union, Brazil, and the United States. Starting out in Canada, there's more updates on the trucker convoy, the so-called freedom convoy, that has been active in that country, primarily in Alberta and in the capital of Ottawa for the last couple weeks. In Alberta, the blockade of truckers that has been preventing traffic to flow between the United States and Alberta, so, you know, preventing border crossings between the two countries, has been raided by the Royal Mounted Police, uh, that is the Mounties, uh, who are, you know, not like some quaint Dudley Do-Right type thing. They're like uh, Canada's version of, you know, like the Highway Patrol. You know, it's a, it's a serious and dangerous police force. In any case, uh, they raided this group of truckers and they found a large amount of ammunition, weapons, uh, rifles, handguns, body armors, a machete, ammunition, etc. This is all coming from the Canadian Broadcasting Company. Um, This ammunition, these, uh, these armaments were apparently primarily owned by a smaller group of armed militants, which, according to the uh, rest of the blockade, had, quote, infiltrated them. Of course, what this really means is that, like, a small group of accelerationist militants, uh, people who believe that they can use sort of more mainstream organizing in order to promote a more radical agenda, uh, organized within the group and tried to gain power within it and tried to use it as a means to affect more radical sweeping change. In Ottawa, the capital of Canada, uh, the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, has also invoked emergency powers uh, for the first time in that country's history. That's a little complicated, though, because, of course, it's not the first time that, like, emergency powers have ever been enacted in Canada. Canada was, of course, a belligerent in World War II, and the Powers Act that he invoked was actually one that was replacing an earlier, slightly more draconian version of the law from the earlier part of the 20th century. Uh, Trudeau intends to use these emergency powers to stop the blockade, uh, to enable the police uh, in Ottawa to tow them and to prevent further manifestations, uh, which would otherwise potentially be covered by Canada's free speech uh, and freedom of assembly rights. Um, Amidst this protest and the failure of the local police to prevent it, the chief of police in Ottawa has resigned. Trudeau also intends to use his invocation of this emergency law to crack down on protests, uh, or potential protests, rather, in other transit hubs, uh, such as airports, um, other major highway exchanges, uh, and also apparently the capital in general. Uh, This is pretty creepy. Moving on to the European Union, the highest court in the European Union has ruled against Hungary and Poland. Uh, This is coming from the New York Times. Specifically, the court has ruled that the European Union can cut aid uh, to these two countries, to Hungary and Poland, in light of their legal backsliding, their backsliding from liberal democracy. Uh, specifically in response to Hungary's passage of anti-LGBTQ laws and Poland's erosion of judicial separation and judicial independence uh, from the elected branches of government. This is particularly bad timing for Poland because, you know, Europe is embroiled in a potential conflict with Russia, and it's extremely bad timing for Orban, the leader of Hungary, where there will be elections in April. In Orban's defiant response, uh, 
to this ruling in the European Union. Uh, he says that this ruling is, quote, a jihad, and that he and his movement, uh, that is his political party, the Fidesz party, are the Reconquista. Uh, this is literally a quasi-fascistic leader, you know, a sort of fascist wannabe type guy who has been trying to use emergency powers and other slightly extra-legal means in order to shore up his position as prime minister. Uh, this is him comparing himself to the uh, Christian crusaders um, against Muslim invasions of Europe. I mean, it's, 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 it's completely ridiculous. A smaller and interesting story from Brazil is that a prominent Brazilian podcaster, or well, former prominent Brazilian podcaster, has been fired uh, for calling for the formation of a Brazilian Nazi party. Uh, this podcaster, Bruno Ayub, uh, was one of the most listened to podcast hosts in Brazil, uh, said that he was extremely drunk when he made his comments about uh, calling for the formation of a Nazi party in Brazil, uh, saying that, you know, Nazism was a good idea and that Brazil should follow in the example of Hitler and Mussolini. This has, of course, resulted in the president of Brazil, uh, Bolsonaro, uh, coming out and saying that, you know, Nazism is bad and stuff. Um, he readily condemned Nazism, um, as many quasi-fascistic leaders do. Uh, however, he himself is extremely interested in precisely the same kind of anti-democratic thrust that fascism was able to harness in the early 20th century. Moving on to the United States, there is a new analysis from Raw Story about Proud Boy accelerationists. Uh, I mentioned accelerationism earlier in the podcast regarding the Canadian convoy and the crackdown there in Alberta. Uh, the Raw Story article talks about a series of Proud Boy presences uh, at regular GOP events in Washington and Washington, D.C. Um, that's extremely interesting. Um, because it indicates that the Proud Boys are sort of, well, rationally identifying the fact that their avenue to power continues to be collaboration with the mainstream right wing. Uh, and to be a sort of like um, extremist wing on the right, pushing it further and further to the right, and also being a group that is interested in and very willing to do uh, the dirty work that the mainstream right would not be capable of doing and maintaining its political legitimacy. If you're interested in hearing a little bit more about this analysis and like this particular way of thinking about the right wing and this particular way of thinking about fascism, check out the special episode that I put out several, God, I guess it might even be a year ago, uh, several months ago regarding uh, fascism. It's called the special episode, What is Fascism? Uh, I think it's pinned to the top of the SoundCloud page if you go check that out. This is a particularly normal course for a fascist organization to follow, um, to organize within the w broader right wing and to try to be a, you know, an accelerant, a catalyst of more radical change within it and to try to move its adherents further and further to the extremes. Finally, as always, got to talk about the uh, continuing updates regarding the January 6th investigation, the investigation of Donald Trump's attempted coup last year. The Biden administration has finally ordered the Trump White House to, uh, you know, like 
the remainder of the Trump White House apparatus, uh, to release its visitor logs to Congress, uh, to the January 6th special committee. Specifically, they're looking at the visitor logs on and around January 6th. And what this means is that the Biden administration is conceding that they really need to know just like specifically who came into the White House, who met with Trump, who met with other members of the administration, who met with senior staff, uh, where did they meet, when did they meet, who was talking. This is going to provide, or at least potentially, this could provide a lot of very good but still circumstantial smoking gun type evidence here. Uh, this could potentially let us know, like, Trump or Trump stand-ins, you know, members of the senior staff or members of Congress who are known go-betweens for Trump and the extreme right, uh, that they met with people who would later actually invade the Capitol building, uh, or that they met with the leaders of those movements, for example, the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, the Proud Boys, all of whom were on the ground on January 6th. Um, this means that, you know, we might get a lot of really juicy information here, or honestly, we might not. Um, it's entirely possible that these records could have been falsified, uh, and it's entirely possible that they might actually not contain exactly what it is that we are hoping to see. Uh, they might not contain the smoking gun that people really need in order to uh, be pulled around to the idea that Donald Trump tried to organize a coup uh, if they weren't already aware of it. You see, that's the problem here, is that drawing out this argument into a legal battle uh, makes us lose sight of the political stakes. Uh, and so the question becomes one of like proving something that we do in fact already know that the president tried to stage a coup. Uh, and dragging that out in this legal way is part of the Trump administration, part of that, uh, that group's strategy at this point. You know, they're trying to make this, they're trying to make this fight prolonged, and they're trying to make it, frankly, boring to most people, people who are not willing or interested to sit through years of illegal proceedings. Finally, going to close out this episode, as I do every week, with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, though I'm not necessarily talking about a right-wing figure, um, he's one of the more confusing people uh, in the history of United States politics. Uh, I am, of course, talking about Lyndon LaRouche, uh, an extremely curious guy uh, on both the left and the right. is very confounding. Uh, LaRouche was born in 1922 in New Hampshire, uh, was a Quaker and therefore a non-combatant in World War II. That, that, that means that he was able to secure service uh, that was not in combat, uh, primarily as a clerk and also in hospitals. After he returned from the war, where, where he had been somewhat radicalized by, you know, by involvement with fellow GIs, uh, he joined various Trotskyist groups. Uh, Trotskyists are a faction of the left that broadly follow the ideology of uh, Leon Trotsky, who is sort of the heretic to Stalinist orthodoxy in the Soviet Union. Uh, if you are uh, more versed and involved in that particular factionalism question, and uh, I'd, I hadn't covered it correctly, then please, uh, please don't come at me. Uh, please just, please just uh, engage me in in some some normal conversation. In any case. Uh, LaRouche joined various Trotskyist groups upon his return to the United States and spent a couple decades in and out of various left-wing factions. 
Eventually, he found himself teaching at the Free School, uh, which was organized by student dissidents at Columbia University and NYU and other prominent universities in New York in the mid to late 60s, uh, emerging from the Columbia protests there uh, that were one of the main, main hotbeds of leftist student activism in the United States at the time. In 1968, he created the bedrock of what would become the LaRouche movement, the National Caucus of Labor Committees, the NCLC, Uh, And the NCLC's plan was to become a sort of umbrella left organization that would subsume the SDS, the Students for a Democratic Society, which was at the time the largest youth uh, political organization in the United States. Uh, The NCLC did not do that. Um, Instead, it followed a a different path and became essentially a cult uh, around LaRouche and his uh, closest allies. It uh, engaged in a lot of the worst types of leftist factionalism, uh, internal purges, investigations, uh, attacking different leftist organizations, both rhetorically and literally, uh, like, like, like with, with fists and also with martial arts weapons. Like there, there are records of LaRouche's attacking people with nunchucks and stuff like that. Um, the Rushis would uh, accuse their opponents both of being fascists and also of being homosexuals. Uh, which tells you a lot about their politics. Uh, And it was specifically this time, uh, as they were turning on their fellow leftists, uh, that the LaRouche organization and LaRouche himself was making a pivot uh, from the left to the right wing. Uh, So by the late 70s, uh, the LaRouche organization, the LaRouche movement, um, had really swung far right. They had contacts within the KKK, uh, with the Liberty Lobby, uh, with the administration and campaign of George Wallace, the famous uh, segregationist. Um, this also put them in direct contact with the Reagan administration uh, and led to them doing a bunch of weird, bizarre shit. Uh, like they pushed for laser-based missile defense in the United States, uh, pushed for development of brainwashing techniques, uh, there were a million suits and countersuits, and Lyndon LaRouche himself ran for president like almost a dozen times. Uh, there were many alleged assassinations carried out by LaRouche's, uh, many assaults. Um, there was even a time when a LaRouche candidate uh, managed to sort of like sneak her way into being the candidate for lieutenant governor in Illinois under the Democrats. Um Way, way, way more to talk about about the the, the LaRouche movement. I, I highly encourage you to take a look at it if you're interested in the sort of like macabre crypto side of politics in the United States. In any case, uh, the grift for LaRouche lasted as long as he did. Uh, it lasted for him until his death this week in history, February 12th, 2019, at the age of 96. So, Lyndon LaRouche, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson. Thank you, Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please uh, alert your friends, family, and comrades about the podcast. Please uh, leave a review or a comment or whatever on whatever it is that you're listening to this on. If you really enjoyed the podcast, please check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism, all one word and spelled out. That's also how you can reach me at gmail.com. That's 15 minutes of fascism. 
fascism at gmail.com. Or if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm hist of the right, H-I-S-T of the right. Uh, you can also follow this podcast at fascism15 on Twitter. All right, I'll talk to you next week. Bye.